Howdy, everybody. This is Sam Epps with Trojan Marine and Dam Sailors. We are once again on the sailing vessel Corita, owned by Captain Rick. And uh, today we're going to be talking about the Buyer's Guide Part 2, where we get into uh, purchasing power boats and a little bit more about engines. And um, some of it's going to cross over and pertain to both sailboats and motorboats. Uh, last week we got into heavy into the sailboat portion of it, and this time we're going to talk a little bit more about the motorboats. So, uh, Rick, how are you doing this evening? No, I'm doing good, man. Just Once again, we are drinking the uh, unnamed brand of clear rum. Can we not say ty- or names? I think we can. I really don't know if we can or not, you know? I think we can. Uh, we're not getting paid. We're not talking shit. That's you- very true. Um, naked turtle rum, white rum. It's pretty good. It's pretty cheap. It's pretty good. Should, it's, we, uh... should we do like a review of the rum? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. I don't know what. How do you? What do you think? I don't know. I can definitely taste the sugar cane. It's pretty nice. Definitely Caribbean. It's a rum. It's a rum. Yeah, it'll give you a little bit of a buzz. Yeah, it's nice. It's very nice. What are we using to mix it? We, Lacroix. Which apparently the other day just uh, they are going to be sued for having pesticides or something in the product. What? I'm I'm guessing that uh that they probably cleaned the plant and then sprayed for bugs or something and somebody accidentally sprayed some equipment. That's that's what I've got my money on. I haven't looked into it. Is I that what I'm tasting? <laughs> yeah. It's still not bad. It's some damn good chemicals. Uh, I I love <laughs> the stuff. Keeps me from drinking cokes. Yeah, for real. But anyway, uh so this episode I think is going to be mostly you. Um you're you're the engine master. <laughs> I don't know about that, but uh, we we do see, deal. You with see what I did there? The motor trend. Uh-huh. Yeah, <clears throat> that's another fantastic show. If y'all uh, if y'all want to get into it, if oh, you're man. if you're gearheads, I'm obsessed with it now that you got me into it, man. That because <laughs> it it's it's educational and there's so much shenanigans in it too. You know, that's, that's kind of what I want this to be. To be honest, that's actually a good point. To point out, uh, if if you like this show and uh, and you're looking for something that uh, with some guys that have quite a few more years experience in dealing with the nitty gritty of engine building and things like that, uh, MotorTrendOnDemand.com. Um, you can either subscribe to that or you can find quite a bit of their stuff on YouTube. And they've got a show called Roadkill and also a show called Engine Masters. There's a whole mess of stuff that they've got and uh, so cool, so fun. Yeah. These guys, these guys know their stuff. They build stuff out of almost nothing and uh, really cool old muscle cars and take you through the ins and outs of how they build these engines. It's it's a lot of fun. Those are my favorite. When they go to a junkyard, they get a car running and then try to make it go cross country. Exactly. Like maybe we should do that, man. Well, I mean, we wait kinda... for a, wait for a hurricane to hit. Buy a super cheap boat and <laughs> try to take it to like New Orleans or something. There you go. Yeah, no, that would be a great episode. That's the type of shenanigans I'm talking about. Heck yeah! Why not? Bathtub races. <laughs> I don't know. Let's get let's get crazy. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, one of the things those guys do, and uh, something that you're probably gonna be looking at doing whenever you look at buying a power boat, or really whenever you're looking into the motor of any boat you're gonna be buying, is just from the get go check all the fluids, oil especially. If it's not got any oil in it, then chances are it's in the bilge. And if it's in the bilge, then you might have a leak in the oil pan or some seals or something like that. And then you've got a whole nother bag of snakes. Right. Um, if there's no oil in the bilge and there's no oil in the motor, then that's um, that's another whole big deal because uh, then you're burning it, which is not good either. That's really the first thing I would say. So day one, you're buying a boat. Uh, aside from what we talked about on the last episode, which was a lot of uh, the hull and cosmetics, and then we got into rigging and sails, just a real gloss over on that. You're looking at gel, looking for gel coat imperfections. You're looking for um, weak spots in the fiberglass. Yes, uh, uh, soft spots in the deck. Right, soft spots. We went over uh, checking out the mast and the boom, yep. looking at the condition of the sails, making sure that it's not uh, sun-damaged, sail covers, wenches, lines. Reading. Oh, something that we didn't cover about lines is that uh, uh, sometimes when the lines 
or in the water too long and then they like sunbake. You know what I'm talking about? When they're like really rigid. Yeah, they get real crunchy. Yeah, that's that's not too bad as far as I'm concerned. Just put it in a bucket, put a little ble- bleach in there. Uh, you really don't want to use bleach if you can if you can help it. Um, Dawn dish liquid does oh yeah does great for it because uh, what you ha- what happens is you get the salt water in there the salt crystals get in the in the rope mm-hmm. and the salt I mean salt's a crystalline form right and the more you're gonna you work that salt back and forth inside of that line it's just chewing up the fibers of that of that line so gotcha. it's really a good idea to soak it in in some uh, a light detergent. And mm-hmm. Dawn works pretty well just to get that salt water out of it. Well, it's a good thing I haven't done my lines like that then. <laughs> <laughs> I'll keep the bleach on the boat. Yeah. Let's see what else. So you covered, yeah, check the fluids. Yeah. Um, one of the cool special things about marine engines is that just like in a, a regular vehicle, whether it's diesel or gasoline, whatever, <coughs> it always needs to have some form of coolant. And it just so happens that boats have a lot of fluid all around it already, right? It's the salt water. Yeah. So it uses salt water to cool itself. How awesome is that? Yeah, you've got all the cooling cooling that you need, uh, no radiator required, but you do have to have a heat exchanger. Um, Actually, you don't have to have a heat exchanger. So one of the things that you need to look at whenever you're looking at uh, purchasing a boat is, is it fresh or raw water cooled. So raw water meaning whatever water the boat's in, and fresh generally meaning uh, you're going to have a separate cooling system with uh, coolant like antifreeze and everything like that mixed in with it, and that's going to be in a closed loop and going through the engine, and the only thing that your salt water or whatever water you're in is going to be touching is the heat exchanger. This is great for a lot of different reasons. The major one is the corrosion, because it you you heat salt water up. Um, oh man, we're reaching back in the archives here, <laughs> uh, back to steam class with uh, Mister Coleman. Deep memory. <laughs> Take a sip of rum. Yeah, right. Um, we'll loosen it up. For every degree, you raise a solution no i'm sorry for every 15 degrees i believe you raise a solution you increase its corrosive abilities by 1.7 times or something like that i'll have to actually look that up and and uh and put it down as an actual fact later but we can put that in the show notes yeah so every time you're raising that temperature of that of that fluid you're using to cool you're making it more corrosive that's why you use antifreeze, and which is your coolant, it, because also it's not just antifreeze, it's coolant. If it's cold outside, it's going to keep that water from freezing. If it's hot outside, it's going to keep that water from boiling. <clears throat> what it also does is it's an anti-corrosive. And every, every vehicle that you have, if it's got it in it, you need to keep it in it because the stuff works, it's there for a reason. And if it doesn't have any coolant in it, if it doesn't have antifreeze in that mixture, that's a that's a bad sign. That means that you either have a leak in your heat exchanger, which is allowing the salt water to get into the engine, or whoever owned the boat previous just changed it all out and never put the, the antifreeze or coolant back in it. So you know that uh, when people in a pinch, they put water into the radiator or something, is that kind of like the same basic concept? How long would it take? for that to uh create an issue it depends um it depends on how how hard you are on it and how much water you put in it what type of water it is if you're using bottled water with minerals added those minerals are actually going to deposit on the walls of the cooling passages inside the engine anytime those minerals pass by that water if it doesn't have the the coolant mixed in with it it's going to be more likely to flash off or flash boil while it's running through the coolant passages. And it happens on a very small scale, but it does happen. And every time that water flashes off, it leaves behind mineral deposits. So all the mineral that's why they tell you to use distilled water, because every mineral that's in that water can be a deposit inside of there. The more deposits you have, the less cooling potential you have. Gotcha. 
It's like plaque in your blood vessels. Exactly like that. Yeah, atherosclerosis. Big words <laughs> coming at you. That I do know. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's really cool. Um, so if you don't have a heat exchanger, if I mean, I'm getting this right, that means that you're just using raw water on the outside, right? Yes. And the heat exchanger, since uh, you have antifreeze or whatever fluids in there, is the heat exchanger just like an extra step to kind of like cool down that fluid before it goes through the whole loop again? Exactly. So what the heat exchanger is doing is that it's taking that raw water, and most of them are called are what's called shell and tube. And so you have uh, a bunch of little tubes that are passing one fluid through, and then on the outside of those tubes you have the other fluid uh, running on the outside of them. Most of the time these tubes are copper, or uh, actually they're almost always copper, and then the heat exchanger body itself is brass and uh so what you're doing is you're exchanging the heat from one fluid to the other and in the process of doing that these fluids get close to each other and you have corrosion issues so sometimes you get pinhole leaks in the heat exchangers and you'll get salt water in your freshwater cooling system <clears throat> if you just have a straight raw water cooling system you'll rarely find that on boats that stay in the water so that's not something you're going to see on like a sailboat uh, unless you're talking about a sailboat that has an outboard on it. But we'll get to outboards here in a minute. For right now, we're going to stick with inboards. Right. Okay. So let's, um, since we're already talking about heat exchangers, let's let's kind of delve a little bit more into that type of engine. Um, do those engines typically have a through-hole specifically for it? Yes. So you're going you're gonna to have a through-hole that's going to take, take your raw water in, and that's going to have a sea, a sea strainer on it. That's another major thing that you need to look at whenever you're going to be buying these boats. You look at these through hulls, you look at these sea strainers, look at the condition of the sea strainer. The sea strainer is going to take the marine life and the debris out of the water before it passes through what is normally a rubber impeller pump. And any debris that gets through that is going to chew that impeller up and then you greatly reduce your ability to cool your engine. <clears throat> so you need to make sure that the basket inside of these heat exchangers are in good condition. If it's got a bunch of holes in it, you're allowing debris to get through. You're going to chew up your... The inside of the yeah, engine. Yeah, you're going to chew up the or inside. Or at least the water pump. The water pump, yeah. Right. And also, that's allowing minerals and things to get through. And, well, what you're probably doing is you're probably plugging up your heat exchanger. Yeah. You're putting little pieces of shell and mud in your heat exchanger, and that's going to plug up your heat exchanger, which makes the engine run hot. Hot running engine, no good. <laughs> gotcha. So I think um, typically raw water engines kind of have the same basic concept just without the heat exchanger. You have the raw water coming from the outside of the boat, coming at, in through a through hole, which uh, typically has a seacock, whether you can turn on or off. Um, goes through a strainer, goes to the engine, and when the engine is running, it cycles that, it sucks that water out, and then it uh, spits it out the back of the boat, usually the back, sometimes the side. Uh, and that's something to look out for if the boat has a running engine, right? If it has very little water coming out. Yes. That, so that's something to look out for as well. This I do know because this is this is something that. Uh, I've kind of gotten in trouble with sometimes, you know, you start an engine and you look out the back and there's no water coming out. And it's like, is there supposed to be water coming out? Turn it off, turn it off, turn it off. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so whether you have a heat exchanger or not, 9.9 .9 times out of 10 on these smaller boats, you're going to have what's called a wet exhaust. And what that means is, is that the raw water is passing through the heat exchanger or through the engine and then getting injected into the exhaust right after the exhaust manifold. And that is keeping the exhaust cool as it exits, as it goes through a system of pipes and exits out the back of the boat. And that's your telltale on whether or not you have raw water flow. Whenever you start the engine up, if it's loud and it doesn't sound muffled at all, then you need to check it because there might be no water coming out. If there's no water coming out, you probably don't have a, an impeller anymore, and you're going to overheat that engine. And what happens if you do overheat the engine? You run into the problem of uh, warping the head and blowing the head gasket, and uh, 
that's where you just you lose all compression. The engine just won't run because you don't have any compression anymore. And that's kind of that's the same as pretty much uh, gasoline engines and cars and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what what kind of uh, if you wanted to fix an issue like that, you know, what what are you looking at in terms of price, maybe? Because I feel like that's what it comes down to, price. You know, like. Well, if it hasn't if it hasn't already been overheated, then you're just looking at an impeller. An impeller on on these types of engines is usually really easy to impl- to replace. They put them in in pretty accessible can, uh, spots. Mm-hmm. Normally, they are either gear driven, but they're all almost always on the front of the engine where the accessory drive is and the belt is. So they're either gear driven, but they're still up the front, or they're belt driven, and they're they're also up at the front. But there's there's usually a, a triangular kind of plate kind of roundish triangular plate that covers uh your impeller housing and you just pop that right off you can get a new one from the manufacturer or there's a lot of aftermarket uh manufacturers that you can get these impellers from and you just pop the new one in and usually whenever you do that it helps to put a little bit of dawn dish liquid on it because getting it getting a dry impeller into the brass housing is a little bit of a challenge you put a little Dawn dish liquid on there, whoop, goes right on. Right. Or Astro Lube, you know, depends on how kinky you are. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of pricing, let's let's say um, on average, how much do you think an impeller is? It's a little for those who don't know, it's it's like um, I don't know how to explain it, like a ship's old timey ship's wheel with the spokes coming out of it. It's like a circle with a bunch of spokes coming out of it. We'll put a picture of it, I guess, on the show notes or whatever. <laughs> yeah. But it's it's very small. It fits in the palm of your hand. Um, it's like a paddle wheel. There you go. Yeah. That's a great way of describing yeah, it. It's a paddle wheel. It's a little plastic black paddle wheel that goes into the water pump, and that's what actually forces the water through the pump. What would you say an average one costs? Like? So it, it really depends heavily on what kind of engine you have and how big of a boat it is. Um, on your Okay, so we'll take uh, Kirita, mm-hmm. the, the boat that we're on right now, 32-foot sailboat. It has, uh, what does this have, a, a four-cylinder? Uh, two-cylinder. Two-cylinder? Yeah, okay. Yanmar two-cylinder. Yanmar two-cylinder. That The diameter on that thing is about that big. It's like an inch and a half, two inches maybe in diameter. Right. Uh, because it says Yanmar on it, normally they add a little bit of extra price on it. But you're looking at maybe 60 bucks for a impeller kit. Right. And that comes with the gasket or O-ring to reseal everything up and the impeller and probably a, a shear pin that goes on it and everything like that. Right. So you're looking at 60 bucks to replace something like that. Let's say your impeller goes bad and you run the engine without the proper water going through it. What kind of damage, what kind of uh, pricing would you be looking at to try to fix that kind of damage? Let's assume that the engine warning system is operating properly and it starts beeping at you whenever it gets hot, uh, that gives you a little bit of time. And if you turn the engine off then, you're not looking at too much damage. If you don't turn the engine off then, and maybe the warning system isn't working properly, or you're blaring music and you just don't hear it, and you overheat the engine, you can be looking at a, you can be looking at a new engine, depending on how bad it is. If you if you do it bad enough, you'll crack you'll crack cylinders, and then you're looking at a complete engine rebuild or a brand new engine. How much is a brand new engine? Just to give a frame of reference to the listeners. So for Carita, 32 foot sailboat, you're looking at probably. I think it's like a 17 horsepower engine or something. Yeah, like it's that. like a 17 horsepower diesel engine. You're looking at about sixteen thousand, seventeen thousand dollars. So sixty bucks, sixteen thousand. Take care of your water pump, people. Yeah. Pay pay attention pay to the attention. water flow. Yeah. So especially if you're looking at buying a new boat, um, assuming the engine runs, you know. Um, that's Unless it's that's, a fantastic deal, I would never buy a boat without seeing the engine run. Right. <clears throat> yeah, it's like the same thing. I keep bringing cars into it, but, I mean, there's just so many similarities, you know. I feel yeah. like if you, why really would you buy a car over. where the engine doesn't run? Yeah. Because you'd never know. It, they could. It's so easy for someone to tell you. It's like, oh man, it just needs this. I just haven't had the time. It's not that big a deal, you know. And you try to get into it, and it ends up being cracked frame or you know something like that. Yeah. 
yeah, so you, you do have to be wary of this stuff, but don't worry. That's that's what we're trying to help you out with here is just to give you the pointers on what you need to be looking for. Here's a very common thing that I've heard. Oh, well, it ran two months ago. Yeah. It doesn't run now. I've heard that so many times. And so many, like, I'd say 90% of those times, it's probably bullshit. <laughs> yeah. It really is. Well, or it ran, but their definition of ran was they started it and it ran for 15 seconds and then they turned it off. <laughs> yeah. Um, a lot of times that that's a, that's a buyer's beware kind of thing because they know that there's something wrong with it. They might know exactly what – they might not know what exactly what's wrong with it, but they are – they know that something's major wrong with it, and they're trying to get rid of it without you starting it. Yeah. They don't want you to know exactly how bad it is. Either that, or they legitimately don't know, but they want it gone, and they're just looking for somebody that's going to take it off of their hands. Yeah. I feel like that's just extra leverage. <clears throat> yeah. You know? I mean, especially if it's an inboard, because that's not really... I mean, trying to get an inboard out is a whole project in and of its own. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you have like to get for, a crane, or, or or you could probably use the boom like we did in uh, Gypsy, I think. Yeah, if it's a small enough engine, you can usually use the tackle on the on the boat to uh, to remove it. Now that's talking about sailboats. If you're talking about a power boat uh, with an inboard engine, that becomes a whole other deal. We uh, we've been I mentioned last uh, last episode that we were working on a Bertram 33, and uh, the owner decided to go ahead and rebuild the gasoline engines in it because the diesel option uh putting the the newer diesel engines in was going to cost almost a hundred thousand dollars and he was just not prepared to do that so we're rebuilding the gasoline engines uh but to get those engines out we had to go in and build this this kind of ridiculous uh gantry crane system inside of the boat out of wood to remove them rather than try and rip out the whole back wall of the boat to get a major crane boom in there so it can get really involved. It can be less involved than that. It depends on just the boat and how it's designed, where the engine is. But at any rate, if you're looking to buy a boat, you don't necessarily always want to be messing with that from day one. So these are the things that, that you're looking for. And if you do want to be messing with that, just know that that's kind of what you're getting into. Expect the worst, hope yep. for the best type of deal. Maybe they just needed a change of fuel filter. Or, you know, something like that where it's just so clogged or yeah, maybe exactly. it was a tank. Well, that's something else that when you talk about, you know, the, the condition of the fuel in the so in the boat. Before we, we get into that, I think it's important to know the difference between your diesel and your gas and what you're looking at, what you need to be focused on, on your diesel versus your gas. On your diesel engines, uh, obviously a fuel leak is bad. You're going to have diesel in the bilge. You don't want diesel in the bilge. Leaves the sheen. Coast Guard doesn't like sheens. Right. On the gas, it can be a little bit more serious than that. Personally, I'm okay with paying with paying a fine if it means that I'm not going to blow up. Yeah. Because uh, we've actually, I'm, I'm sure, uh, the next episode or sometime very soon, y'all are going to get to uh, hear some words from Captain Chris. And uh, Captain Chris has a wonderful story that I'm sure he will expound upon in that episode. Or we're definitely going to get him to tell it in one of the episodes. Oh, my God. I've not laughed that hard in a long time. You're talking about the jet ski? Well, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a jet ski. It was a, it was a boat with an inboard-outboard. Uh-huh. And, uh, and it blew up. It was gasoline engine gasoline engine in an enclosed space had a fuel leak that they didn't know about and it blew up <clears throat> while they were right while they were running it was that the one by the causeway yeah it, it oh shut down the God. galveston causeway uh the, i the, don't know why i felt like such a piece of shit but i laughed so hard when I heard <laughs> because he told me that he was he was riding on the boat and he remembers that he remembers a big boom and then everything was just kind of spinning and he said that things stopped spinning enough for him to realize that he was like 40 or 50 feet up in the air <laughs> right before he started going down and landed in the water. Oh, yeah. Oh, it was like God. Wild E. Coyote. If he had yeah. a sign, he could have held it up. Oh, shit. Oh, God. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
But yeah, yeah, so. we're, we're gonna need to hear some more specifics on that one because that's all I remember. I was just laughing so hard I don't remember any details of the story. <laughs> yeah, I'm really glad that he didn't get hurt. I'm not trying to be a dick here. I just don't. It's just incredibly funny to me. Yeah, um, glad he's okay. Glad nobody was hurt. They ended up closing the causeway for I don't know how long. Yeah, it was a, it was an hour or two I think because the smoke the it the was the smoke was smoke. so thick it was yeah. just nobody could see to go over the causeway. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, fiberglass does that. Burning fiberglass is yeah. thick, thick, thick black smoke. Yeah, it's really bad. scary looking. So yeah, that's whenever you're looking at your at your gas or diesel. Um, just, Go diesel, for sure. Yeah, uh, diesel is is our preferred way to go. Um, there are there are times whenever gas is is where you, what you're looking at. Obviously, if you're going to have an outboard engine, then it's going to be gas. Uh, the nice thing about outboard engines is the actual engine part of it is outside of the boat so right. you, you've got less of a chance now you still have to worry about your electronics i mean if you're building up a bunch of gasoline fumes and you flick a switch on that's not properly protected in the boat you're still going to ignite the gas fumes right you, all that, you never want gas leaks and that's the thing it's it's fumes it's it's gas it's not necessarily having a spark at the actual tank it's yeah. having the fumes that gas build up, you know, if you don't have proper ventilation, which is huge, 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 huge. Yeah, um, definitely. That's, that's why it can get extremely dangerous, especially if, if you're going on long trips or something like that, you know, just all of a sudden uh, hose just kind of s- comes off just a little bit and you start to get, you know, those fumes or a little gasoline. <laughs> it, it can turn deadly really quick. Yeah. Yeah. You got to you got to be vigilant about this stuff. But you, that's that's just comes with the territory if you're gonna if you're gonna be out on the water obviously it's not sitting on your couch watching netflix right yeah yeah i'm not trying to fear monger either there's definitely good applications for uh gasoline like you said outboards especially like skiffs dinghies yeah um fishing boats and stuff like that uh i don't really see the you know the particular need to have a diesel engine on something like that you know um that's just you have to be careful exactly that's basically it and that's something to look out for whether it, when you're looking at you know an outboard too is check out all the connections uh you can usually at joints whether it's at the fuel tank or the fuel line that goes to the engine kind of touch that hose around and see like usually if even if it's uh if it's been a while or a while since it last ran if you kind of touch that hose you can kind of feel a little film on your fingers you know and you'd be like okay well this wasn't tight you know what else should i be looking for check the build you know make sure that uh you know you're not smoking i guess <laughs> just uh you know be careful it's just extra thing to look out for yeah for sure so now we've we've checked the oil we we understand about the cooling system <clears throat> we understand that uh, gas goes boom diesel burns but gas goes boom and so the next thing that you that you're going to be looking at is is your shaft. If you're if you're looking at an inboard engine, then you're going to have a shaft that's a penetration in the hull. It has to be sealed in a certain way. Old style shafts have um, mechanical packing, and that is actual like uh, cotton or um, there's a there's a few different types of of packing. Uh, but a lot of times it's cotton with wax, impregnated with wax, that's uh, made into kind of a square-looking rope that gets put inside of a gland and then squeezed down with a nut, and that squeezes around the shaft and that keeps the water out. You have to look for those. If they're leaking, then they may just need a little bit of tightening. Uh, you may need to repack them. The nice thing about them is they're not hard to deal with. I mean, they can be hard to deal with if you have to dig a lot of really old packing out, but they they do work. They do drip. That is one thing that you have to you have to be aware of is that if it's an old style, it's going to drip. When you say old style, like what what? How That's the old ones that have about? the packing. Uh, they they use those all the way up through the through the early nineties. Okay. Um, a lot of boats kind of shied away from it after that, but you can still find there's still people that put them on boats just because they prefer that over the, the what's called the dripless. The dripless, yeah. <clears throat> the dripless is a little more fancy. Um, They're resisting the future. <laughs> yeah. The the dripless packing. Um, obviously, the nice thing about it is if it's installed properly and maintained properly, it does not drip. Um, 
the not so nice thing about it is is that uh, if you have a slight misalignment in the shaft or if um, if you're not paying attention to it and something gets jammed up against it, it can leak a lot of water real quick. Um, yeah. And that's something that you can check um, if if it is a dripless. It's basically like a plastic spring, right, that goes around the shaft. Uh, and it's just like a through-hole, just like any other through-hole, really. It's just a little bit bigger to allow the drive shaft to go out there into the prop. Um, and just like any other hole in the boat, you know, that's something that can potentially turn disastrous really quickly. Yeah, that's, uh, on average, the, the hole for your drive shaft is the largest hole in your boat. Um, so that's the one that you really need to pay attention to. A lot of times your, your through-holes will have a shutoff valve on them. There's no shutoff valve for the shaft. Right. So if if you have a problem with the shaft, that's a big deal. Um, your dripless, there's what Ricky was talking about, the rubber spring. That's a, they call it a bellows. And that has a graphite ring attached to it. And then on the shaft, there's a very finely machined stainless donut that slides and sits up against that graphite ring. And as the shaft spins, it, it just rubs against that ring, and it's such a fine fitment that the water actually doesn't want to travel between the ring and the graphite. So that's what prevents the water from coming in. So you need, you need to be aware of that. Check that. Um, if, you're, if you run the engine, which you should run the engine, watch the shaft. Put it in gear. Make sure, make, make, obviously, make sure your lines are tight, for Christ's sake. Don't run the <laughs> boat that you haven't bought yet into the dock. Oh, yeah. But make sure all the lines are tight and put, put the thing in gear. Look at the shaft. It will be very painfully obvious if it has a wobble to it. And if it has a wobble to it, that means that you either have a bunch of growth on the prop, maybe you're missing a prop blade, or maybe the shaft is bent or maybe the engine's been out of alignment for a long time all of these things lead to other problems down the road so you need to make sure that that shaft isn't wobbling all over the place right that's definitely something to check for um you can have a perfectly running engine and if your prop is overgrown with barnacles or oysters or missing a prop or all of the above there's no point in having an engine really you know what that's called what's that that's a bubble maker a bubble maker. <laughs> That's all it does. You can rev that engine as high as it'll go, and all you're going to do is just make bubbles. Yeah. Oh, speaking of bubbles, <clears throat> dude, uh, maybe we can do, like, mini-episodes or something and talk about cavitation. Yeah. That would be cool, man. That's um. That's some physics power right there, dude. That's <laughs> that's so cool. Yeah, then you get into prop slip and all kinds of different stuff. Yeah. I'm going to give a really quick thing about cavitation just because uh, it's so cool. Oh, look who's getting here now. Ladies and gentlemen, my fiance is getting into the boat, coming <laughs> home from school, hopefully with a pizza. Yes. So, <laughs> so cavitation, correct me if I'm wrong, you're the engineer. Uh, when a prop starts to spin, it creates these little pockets of pressure. And uh, if you change the pressure in a liquid, it changes the boiling temperature, right? Yes. So... Once the prop starts moving at a certain speed, I think it lowers the pressure or it well, you have, increases the pressure. You have pockets of increased pressure and you have pockets that are under vacuum. And it's in the vacuum where the water starts to actually boil right yes. next to the propeller. And the water that starts to boil, it turns into steam, little bubbles. Yep. But then the bubbles, when they dissipate, they create like a boom. It like explodes. Yes. With the this pressure that just kind of implodes in and of itself and that can actually create lots of issues with the propeller right? you can you can actually kind of liken it a little bit to uh to uh thunder how how thunder happens whenever the lightning bolt leaves it's burned up all of the oxygen in the air right there where the lightning bolt was and the boom that you hear is the air rushing back in so what oh, happens cool. is uh, whenever you have that area of low pressure and you form a steam bubble, when that steam bubble collapses and the water comes back in, you have a little mini boom. And that is actually, if you're cavitating the prop often enough, what you're actually doing is causing prop erosion. You can, you can actually form little pockets and divots in the prop 
from that. It's it, it's a powerful enough phenomenon if it's going on constantly that you're actually going to erode material off the prop. That's cool. And if <clears throat> let's say that the prop is actually clean enough that you can like jump in the water and kind of feel around there, you'd be able to feel the little divots on the prop, right? Yeah. Wow. And what does that mean? Does that just mean the prop is bad? Something's out of alignment? What's up? Um, a lot of time, cavitation just comes from you you winging the motor too much, just going above the RPM that that prop is designed to operate at. Gotcha. And a lot of times that happens on uh, older boats where people have retrofitted props that weren't necessarily the right prop for that boat, but it's what they had. Gotcha. <clears throat> so that actually kind of brings us to another part. Um, since we're talking about engines, we've been talking about the drive shaft. We started talking about the prop. We might as well finish that off. You can clean the prop in the water and get down there with like a scraper and clean it off but to really see the condition that the whole thing is on is uh i mean you're basically just talking about a haul out right to like really see the condition of the prop and everything else yeah unless unless you've got a boat in a in a marina where you can really get down there and get a good look at it in the water um that's true we definitely cannot do that here yeah, here in Galveston Bay, water's no. too murky, nasty water over here. If you're in Florida, uh, then then you can probably go ahead and do that. But uh, around here, the water's always too murky. You're just not going to get the good look at it that you need. And there's some people that go as far, uh, depending on how expensive their prop is. There's some people that go as far as having them uh, ultrasound tested. Ultrasound? What is that? Uh, just the exact same as if you're if you're going to have a baby and you go and get an ultrasound. It's the same. It's the same <laughs> equipment. Okay. It's the exact same equipment. And what you're doing is you're looking for microfractures in the metal. Ooh. Um, that sounds cool. Now, you really, you only do that if you have really expensive propellers. There's just no point in doing it with a, with a smaller boat like uh, most of our viewership is probably going to be able to afford. Right. And that, that depends, too, because uh, <coughs> there's different materials for propellers, correct? Yeah. Some of them that are more expensive uh, to try to repair that you might as well just get a new one right yeah so if you're running uh like on outboards you have aluminum props and uh, mostly aluminum and stainless props on outboards the stainless props are worth repairing the aluminums are kind of junk you, you just throw it away if it gets dinged up just toss it it's right. not really work worth repairing the stainless ones can be more expensive and you can send those in and have them reworked. And on sailboats, oftentimes your propeller is going to be brass and those are also quite expensive and usually can be reworked. But there comes a time when you just can't rework it anymore and your local propeller shop is, is going to know when that is. So if, if the propeller looks dinged up and dented, you can knock some some surface dings off of the edges with a file yourself. Right. But it you'll know. It'll be obvious. You'll notice the difference in the performance of the propeller when it, and those those chips and dings those are going to those are going to contribute to cavitation as well. Any any uh non smooth surface on that propeller contributes to cavitation and that's right. just going to erode it more. Gotcha. So it's like rust. Yeah. Just about once it starts, it just kind of cascades into getting worse and worse. Now, unless you're talking about rust on copper or aluminum, because copper and aluminum rust actually forms a protective barrier. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. I did not know that. Yeah. So that uh, that green copperish, that green rust that you get on on copper. Right. That actually forms a protective barrier on the copper. You you kind of don't want to remove that. That's so cool. Uh, and the same thing with aluminum to a certain point. Now aluminum, uh, it it's hard to explain this to people that don't that don't have a background in in metal, metallurgy or corrosion theory or anything like that. Which is a huge field. I know. It, by it the is. Way. Yeah, it is yeah, a massive corrosion field. theory. Is. is <laughs> kind of a billion dollar industry really oh yeah it's it's major i mean you think about all the the rigs and the ships and everything that are out in the out in the the gulf of mexico alone much less out on the all the oceans um that's so badass yeah there's there's a lot going on there but we won't get any deeper into that we'll we'll uh we'll stick with our buyer's guide here yeah we're trying to talk about engines man we've been trailing off that's okay though i feel like it's been really interesting stuff hopefully y'all agree 
So where are we at? Okay, so we talked so we about we talked about uh, we talked about just checking oil, cooling system. Right. Got into the shaft. Right. Now we went on to the propeller. Right. We really weren't that far off topic. No. So now uh, moving from the propeller, the things that that you're going to be looking for on your engine aside from the engine itself, you're going to be looking for your steering and your throttle cables. Ooh, yes, very important. So. You need to move your throttles, make sure they move freely, and your shifter. Check your transmission fluid, because the engine can do all it wants, but if that transmission's no good, you're not going to spin that prop, and you're not going to go anywhere. Right. So you need to check that transmission fluid. Uh, check and make sure that the transmission goes into gear whenever the engine's running. And that's kind of what you were talking about earlier, starting the engine, putting it into gear. Yeah. Making sure the lines are tight. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Don't run not the boat go into anywhere. the dock. Right. Um, yeah, that's true. And I, be, I guess you could check the steering out as well whenever you do that. Is yeah. That so uh, that and, may, and maybe if you're lucky, maybe the owner can take you for a sail and you can, you know, take the boat out. Yeah. And test it out in the water. That's probably the best way. It's yeah. Like, a te- like an actual test drive. Ideally, you would test drive it just like a, just like you would a car. Ideally, you're going to test drive the thing before you take it out. That gets lost on a lot of people, I think, whenever they're buying a boat because they, it's just it's just more of a foreign thing. It's not something that you do every day. Buying a car, you do that for a lot of people these days. Really, almost every two years, you just go in, you trade in, you trade your older vehicle in, and you get you a new one. And every time you do that, you're going to go test drive one. Right. You really should do the same thing with with your boat. I mean, it's Can an you imagine investment. if you could do that on boats. Oh, if it was like a car and you just trade yeah. it in and get another one? Oh, man, it would be ridiculous. Jeez. I'm just trying to think of, like, the new Hunters or uh, the Lagoon catamarans uh-huh. and stuff. Just like, yeah, I got tired of this old one. I want to check out the new one. Yeah. There's probably something out there. There like are that. some manufacturers that do that. Beneteau and Hunter. Beneteau, Hunter, and... Oh, uh, heck. Some of the other high-end uh, sailboat manufacturers have a program like that. They'll actually call you... Uh, and ask you if you want to trade your old boat in because they have people that are looking to get into the market mm-hmm. and if they can offer them a boat that's two or three years old then they're more likely to sell that boat than they are to to get them to buy a brand new one wow <clears throat> so if you're already hooked and you want to know and you they know that you're going to be with Benito or whatever for the rest of your life then they're going to be like hey you should uh you should come in and check out the new model and we'll uh we'll see what we'll give you for your old one. Wow. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> but uh So okay, back to engines. So the really I guess the next thing, yeah, so the you're you're shifting your gears and you're checking your transmission out, you're checking your throttle out, making sure that it sweeps and uh that your cables aren't so stiff. You're steering uh that sometimes that's a two-person d- job, especially on the sailboat because you're going to have to you're going to have to have somebody get into position so they can look at the sweep on that rudder. You can't do it from, from the, the helm. Cockpit, yeah. Yeah. But there's almost always an access that you can open up that'll that'll allow you to see the arm sweeping back and forth and show you that the rudder is moving. Right. <coughs> Just cuz the wheel spins doesn't mean that the rudder is moving. Exactly. Yeah. And and if it's hydraulic and not cable steering, then you're looking for hydraulic leaks. Right. And if it's a tiller, then you don't have to worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, tiller is uh is nice and simple. Yeah, pretty so full, pretty foolproof unless the the rudder post is bent or something. You can't really. Yeah, and that that turns into a real pain in the ass. Yeah, that that's definitely something to look out for if you're trying to get a tiller. Yeah, if you've got hard boat. spots, uh, if you've got hard spots on a tailboat or really on any boat, if you got hard spots in your steering, you need to be aware that uh the the rudder itself could be bent. And that can get pretty expensive. Yeah. You're looking at probably a haul-out. Remo- you can remove these things in the water, but it's not. It, I wouldn't recommend it. Right. That, that's another massive hole in your boat. So we've been talking about uh, the inboards, and uh, we, we talked at the beginning about the fuel. Uh, something that you need to be aware of on the fuel is on the tops of your fuel tanks, uh, like Ricky was saying with finding the leaks on them, you need to check those fuel hoses. A lot of times they're rubber they're rubber hoses and take them and bend them back and forth. Right. If they're not nice and pliable and they're kind of crackly, 
then you're going to need to be changing all those fuel hoses. Whether it's diesel or gas, it doesn't matter. Those hoses are going to fail, and you're going to have fuel in the bilge, and you right. never want fuel in your bilge. Those, those hoses, they're not that expensive, and they'll save you so much headache. Once you start bending them, you'll start to see cracks in it. Just replace it. You yeah. know, it's, it's it's not worth waiting until it starts leaking. Right. <clears throat> it's, it's one of those things where we're talking about the impeller. Same thing, you know. Uh, do you want a couple thousand dollars fine for having uh, for getting to the point where you have to use your bilge to pump out the gasoline? Or do you want to replace it with a $20 fuel hose? You know, yeah. like that's basically what it comes down to. Yeah, there's there's. I don't want to say there's a lot of room for error because, or there's not that much room for error because there is. You don't have to use the bilge, you know, to pump it out. Maybe you can take the boat back and then pump it out into or get rid of it there. But it's it's just basic boat maintenance, I guess. Yeah, that's what it and, comes down to. And uh, the consequences are there, I guess. Whenever you're whenever you you look at those fuel hoses, if you do end up having to replace them, um, be aware. O'Reilly's does not carry boat-rated fuel hose. You have to go to a marine dealer to get marine fuel hose. It is different, and the Coast Guard will ding you for it if they board your vessel. Can you explain why? Um, Marine-grade fuel hose is rated has a fire rating on it. That means that it can withstand fire of a certain intensity for a certain amount of time before it will it will burn through and release more fuel. That is essential on a boat. It's Coast Guard required. It's Solus required. And you need to do it. It's going to save your life. It's going to save your guest's life. And there's just no reason not to. It's there. Yes, it is more expensive, but is it worth the boat? Is it worth your life? No, it's not. Right. Also, the new marine fuel hose has a much better uh, tolerance for if you're running gasoline. It has a much better tolerance for uh, the ethanol in the fuels, and it's not going to do what the older fuel lines, whenever they first introduced ethanol, the interior of the fuel line actually degraded. Right. And then you yeah. ended up with massive amounts of junk from the inside of the fuel line plugging up your fuel filters. Right. Yeah. Speaking of fuel filters, you need to check your fuel filters. <laughs> If you have yeah. if you have a bunch of water in the fuel, whether it be diesel or gas, uh, a lot of times they have what called Raycor filters. Yes, and, I was about to mention those. Those are so cool. Yeah, they're, they're fantastic. Yeah, they're very simple. It pretty much runs the basic concept that what is it? Water is lighter than diesel, so it separates the water. The water floats to the top, right? Heavier. Water is heavier. Water is heavier. Water is heavier than diesel. So if you look at the filter and there's water in the line, you'll see the separation. You'll see like a line. And that should be an indication that something's wrong. The yeah. engine will keep running right up until, uh, I guess, the water overtakes the diesel. Yeah, so uh, it, it has a bowl on the bottom. And it's normally clear plastic that you can see into. And you right. can see that phase separation. And uh, in diesel, it's a real pain in the butt. In gas, it's a little bit less of a pain in the butt because uh, gas will not start growing algae. Diesel, if you get a bunch of water in the tank, will actually start growing algae in the tank. So if you see a lot of water, you're going to see a little bit of water. If you see a lot of water and there's some green slime at the bottom of that, no go. You're going to have to replace that or clean the hell out of that fuel tank because you've started to grow diesel algae. Diesel yeah, algae that's, is some... that's a separate thing it's not just regular algae it's it's yeah. an extremophile yeah. it is it is uh, uh i don't biologically the they call them uh extremophiles they live in very harsh environments and they actually thrive in the interface between water and diesel and that's so cool <laughs> it is nasty nasty stuff and it will plug your filters up continually it's just a headache you have to steam clean the tank um, to get them out and there's some harsh chemicals that you can use to put in there but uh, most of the time they steam clean the tank right? or replace the tank if it's that bad wow so that's also assuming that your tank doesn't have any uh, any leaks yeah yeah so like, remember that last job that we went to together 
Oh, oh Jesus Christ, yeah. Yeah, uh, aluminum is a fantastic material, but it is susceptible to corrosion whenever it is not properly grounded or uh, separated from other metals that it can transfer electrons to. That's that's another. So you want to do a, a whole one on the prop slip and, and all that, but it, the corrosion uh, corrosion theory, you can get real deep into that. Oh, man, let's do an episode. Yeah, we need to do an episode on that. I think that's very beneficial to a lot of people also. And as long as we keep it, uh, you know, just a little bit le- more layman's terms and everything, we don't need to get into it sure, too heavily. Yeah. But on There's... your fuel tanks, the aluminum fuel tanks, anytime you have... A corrosive environment uh, aluminum is uh, anodic or anodic and it's gonna want to corrode before a lot of other stuff and so you got to be careful with aluminum fuel tanks because you'll get holes in them um, which a telltale sign that you're about to get holes in it is the little white fuzzy gel white fuzzies on an aluminum fuel tank is not good mm. if you can brush your hand over them and they go away easily and there's no big divots underneath them no big deal. If if you brush your hand over it and it's kind of like a jelly and there's a big divot underneath it, that's not good. You're about to have to replace that fuel tank because every one of those little jelly patches is a pit in that metal. Just waiting to burn Just through. Just waiting to go all the way through. Yeah. <clears throat> is there some is there like a sacrificial zinc or something that can go in there a lot yeah, like of times, maybe we can go into uh electrolysis here shortly you know whenever yeah because you're, you're gonna have to do that on your engines yeah um a lot of times what they do is they use a bonding system it's called a bonding system and it's a it's a copper wire that is connected to if you have a metal fuel tank if you have a plastic fuel tank then it's no big deal right uh if you have a metal fuel tank there's a bonding wire that goes to the bonding system of the boat and the bonding system ties all of your different metal parts on the boat together the idea behind that is that you have anodes on the engine and on the shaft and those anodes are going to corrode instead of the other metals on the boat so sacrificial exactly you are transferring what causes the corrosion is electrons right and so that's why putting that wire on there some people go well how in the heck am i preventing corrosion on the fuel tank that's way over here when the anode is way over there well what you're doing is you're allowing the electrons that would corrode the tank to pass through that wire and go and attach themselves themselves to the atoms of the anodes so it's like um creating a path of least resistance for the electrons to just kind of it's like a ground it's exactly what you're doing it's a ground it's it's a bonding system is a all it is is it's a grounding system you're grounding everything to those those sacrificial anodes is that something that you know you can whenever you're looking at a boat it's hard especially you know if if somebody's done a lot of do-it-yourself kind of work and you know all the wires are all different colors or not labeled or anything you know but is that something that you can check if you're looking to buy a boat yeah so the the factory bonding system is always going to be a stiff green wire it's not going to be a real flexible wire. It's not going to be what you would think would be going to an electronic system or anything like that. It's a pretty stiff green wire that is going to be run throughout the bilge, and it's going to be attached to the fuel tank. It's going to be attached to the big metal parts in the console or in the on the helm, and then it's going to be attached to the engine. And there's probably going to be a ground strip that will have all of these wires attached to it so we'll probably try and put some pictures up um, of a grounding system so that it gives you more of an idea of what you need to look for because with every manufacturer it's different right they're going to put it in a different spot it's going to be attached to different areas so on and so forth i can't give you an overall in end all be all this is what to look for but I can give you pictures to give you an idea of what you need to be looking for. Right. General concept. And in my opinion, that is one of the most important systems on the boat. It's what's called a passive system, but it is the most active at keeping your shit from going to shit. <laughs> because the corrosion is what gets you in the end. Yeah. Everything else you can you can repair and 
and you can fix a lot of stuff. Whenever the corrosion really sets in on your metal parts, that's when you have to start changing stuff out. When you can no longer just fix it or put a patch on it, you have to change it. And the corrosion is what really eats the stuff up then makes you have to change it. Right. So do you want to talk about um, the sacrificial zinc that you can put outside? So it used ties to... ties pretty nicely to what we're talking about. Yeah, so uh, your zincs, whenever you're looking at the at, on the engines... Um, there's sacrificial anodes, and, and they used to be zinc. Uh, a lot of times now they're a, a real low-grade aluminum, and uh, they're bolted on to exterior metal parts on the boat. You'll have them on the shaft. You'll have them on the lower unit if, you're, if you have an outboard or an inboard outboard, and they'll look like these little circles or rectangles and they're they're not painted if they are painted that's a no-no and they're not doing their job they never should be painted because that is what gives them that gives the path for the electrons is that them touching the water they have to be wet they have to touch the water to do their job if they're painted they're not doing their job you definitely need to and we'll have to put some pictures up of what they look like too right yeah if they're not there then that's a big deal. Because they've been eaten away. They've been eaten away. Which means that the only thing that's left are the actual pieces of yeah. machinery that you don't want exactly. to get corroded. Right. Exactly. Damn, there's so much. I think uh, the last episode we talked about how as much as we love the water and the sun, yeah, they're kind of like the worst enemies on a boat. Well... That's another extra little footnote on the C part, you know? Yeah, all exactly. The electrons. And the whole process, I believe, is called electrolysis. Yes, it is. And, you know, it's just crazy to think about electricity just sitting in the water. <laughs> <laughs> you know, eating away at all the parts. Yeah, and salt water is more conductive than fresh water. So if you're in salt water, that's why salt water corrodes faster, because salt water conducts electricity better. Super cool. I think that covers inboards pretty well. Yeah, you want to jump into outboards real quick? It's pretty much all the same concepts, same things to look out for. Yeah, your your biggest things on your uh, on your outboards, run the engines, run the engines, run the engines. Get the get the guy that you're buying from or the girl that you're buying from to let you take the boat out. They can go with you. If you di- if you just run it in the slip, you're not gonna find the problems that you may otherwise. There's there's a lot of times. The engines will idle just fine. If you go to get up on plane or if you go to get some higher RPM, that's where you start having your problems. With the diesels, a lot of times it's the clogged fuel filters or maybe you have air in the fuel lines. Mm. With the gas engines, a lot of times it's water or you have clogged fuel filters. On the outboards specifically, there's there's what's called a float tank, and that is where your high-pressure fuel pump is. Uh, the factory kind of hides these things these days. They used to be really easy to get to, but uh, they got wise to that because people figured out that it was super simple to work on these things themselves, and they were just fixing them themselves. So they're kind of hidden behind the air intake now, and uh, they're a little harder to get to. But there's there's a tiny little filter screen on the bottom of the high-pressure fuel pump on these things. And nine times out of ten, whenever you start having fuel delivery issues on these engines, that's what it is. You've gotten some some old fuel in there. The ethanol has corroded the inside of that float tank a little bit, and you've got nasty junk that's clogging up that screen. Right. <clears throat> yeah, I think building. we worked on one together. Was it a was it a mercury? Uh, was I can't rem- I can't remember what it was. But there in, was some like pitting in the actual float tank. Oh, but yeah, that was out in a uh, harbor walk, and that one, yeah. Uh, we had to change the float tank body because they have a fuel cooler on there, just like the heat exchanger on the engine itself. Uh, on these outboards, um, you not only have water, salt water or raw water passing through the engine to cool the engine, but uh, a lot of times they have a fuel cooler because the cooler the fuel is, the more dense it is, the more fuel you can put in the chamber, the more power you can make. Um, we'll get into engine theory and stuff like that on another episode but heck yeah we will (laughs) (laughs) but at any rate you got to watch out for that because that will put raw water directly into the fuel system of your engine and that will eat your injectors alive that's what it was yeah there was raw water 
getting into the fuel system. Yeah, that because will of eat the pitting. Injectors. Yeah, because of the pitting in that fuel chamber. Yep, or float chamber. Which goes back to checking your anodes. Yeah, if it's if your anodes are are good, you're not gonna. It's not gonna start eating all the rest of that material. So for the regular person, let's say you're looking at buying a sailboat or maybe a small pleasure craft. Here's an outboard. It doesn't run. What do you do? You just walk away? Uh, you don't necessarily walk away because here's a little secret. A lot of people hate electricity. And electricity is most often the thing that is making it not run. Check the batteries. Uh, check the battery switches. And check the grounds. On all this new stuff, if it doesn't have 12.3 or so volts... It's not going to work. It likes to have its voltage, and it likes consistent voltage. All this computer-controlled stuff is, is real sensitive with the voltage. And if you have a bad ground, wiggle the wire. you got to wiggle the wires around. If you can't get it to start initially, wiggle all your, your contacts, all your terminals and, that go to your batteries. Make sure you've got 12 volts on your battery or more. 11.5 volts is not good. That puts high current through your starter motor, and it will ruin the starter motor. It will ruin the electronics on the engine. You need a good charged battery. That's uh, been a huge part in my experience, just having um, just checking the connections before you get any deeper into it. You know, you yeah. hate to get super take a whole engine apart and then just find out it was bad ground. You know what I mean? Exactly. You'll see the ground, and you'll see this like green kind of powdery stuff all around it. Yep. You just get in there with a wire brush, clean the terminal out, and then it starts working fine. Yeah, and that's like we were talking about earlier. That is your copper corrosion. It protects the copper, but the way that it protects the copper is it creates a barrier. Barrier, yeah. yeah that doesn't allow the it's electrons to go through. It's a non-electro... Conductive. Conductive, a non-conductive barrier. Thank right. you. Ah, that's so cool. <laughs> All right. So um, what about... Uh, the lifters on a you know little power boat. Oh, your uh, your trim and tilt. Yeah, yeah. That. So, <laughs> yeah, your trim and tilt. Um, more often than not, you're you're gonna have problems with the buttons. Uh, the buttons either on the side of the engine or on the control itself. Easy way to to get around that is you can just take apart the connections that are inside of the cowling and tap them together that go to the button that's on the cowling. And if you hear the there's a relay that gives that motor power, and if you can hear the relay clicking but nothing's happening, then that's whenever you start diagnosing elsewhere. But yeah, um, trim and tilt systems, they're, they're not that hard to deal with, but if it's not working, just know that it can get a little bit more expensive. Uh, some of the relays on the newer outboards are in upwards of $300 to get a new relay. So. Dang crazy a lot of times it's not actually the trim tilt motor mm -hmm. um sometimes it's the seals sometimes you if you can hear it running and uh it's just not moving it's because you don't have any fluid and the seals have gone bad those aren't that bad to change um if the relay's gone bad like i like i said that can be pretty expensive if the motor's gone bad that that gets real expensive yeah man we've covered a lot of stuff we're already at an hour and six minutes Oh, man, it's time to shut it down and, and finish off the rum. Real quick, yes, definitely the second. Do you want to talk about outdrives at all? Is that a thing? I mean, you see them around. Outboards like, outboards, out and outdrives are operating almost the exact same way. The only difference is, is that the engine on an outboard is on top. The engine on an inboard outboard is at a 90-degree angle to it. Yeah. That's literally the only difference. Um, Just inboard a couple outboards, of more um, hydraulic systems for like what are called the trim tabs on the side, right? Uh, well, really, the it's it's the same for. It's just like the trim and tilt on your on your outboard, on your inboard outboard. The trim and tilt is just on the outdrive portion of it. Yeah. the The biggest difference is is that you have a lot more gear oil in the inboard oh, outboards. Oh, because they're they're independent units. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And because you're taking... Which on an outboard would be kind of like your upper and lower unit yeah. shares the same oil. Well, your lower your lower unit has, has... Oh, no, that's right. It has its own... Oil. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, your lower unit does have separate oil um, also on outboards. You should check that because sometimes they're entirely dry, and then that means that your lower unit is probably going to crap out on you here pretty soon. That's a little plug at the base of it. But on the inboard outboards, the big difference is they're they're really hard on themselves because you're having to change the direction that you're putting that mechanical energy so many times. You're coming out of the engine into a gear drive at the top of the inboard outboard and then you're going down and then you're changing the direction 90 degrees again to go to the prop so that's changing the direction 90 degrees twice mm-hmm. you're losing that's a lot of a lot of shaft losses you're losing a lot of power there you're creating a lot of friction there and that's just a lot of wear points gotcha on the on the outboards uh because the engine is directly up and down you're only changing that direction of of power once at the base. Yeah. Inboards, outboards, outdrives, gas, diesel, props, shafts. I think we've pretty that's much a, covered. That's a lot to digest. That is a lot. I'm glad we definitely did this in two episodes because I was like, oh, we'll do the engines in, you know, 30 minutes or something like that. <laughs> no. It's uh, we're running on hour and ten minutes. Yeah, anything else you want to add before we finish this up and finish our bottle? Uh, just understand that it's not going to happen overnight. You're, it's going to take some time to to get a hang of this stuff. But know that this information is all easily found online. Obviously, everybody is is a Google warrior these days. You can get on your phone and in five minutes you can know just about anything about anything. So, if you don't know check it out and don't believe the first thing that you read because chances are so it's a lot there's a lot of opinions out there you got to cross-reference your your stuff right just like anything i guess Um, too much information may not necessarily be a good thing yeah and and know that there are people out there like captain rick and uh captain chris and myself that do have the experience and we are willing to help so send us some emails and uh leave us some comments and we're, we're doing this so that people can get out there and do it themselves. Yeah. Man, what do you, what do you think about... <laughs> this is our second episode, so I might be thinking a little bit further ahead. But, you know, if there's enough interest, maybe uh, I think we have the right cable that we need to plug into this uh, mixer and maybe take some calls. Yeah, I think if we should definitely do that. There's enough interest. I mean, please let us know. First, uh, we need to make sure that there is enough uh, interest in that. So please leave some comments on the either Facebook, on the uh, comment section for the episode. Uh, send us emails, thosedamnsailors at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, the more that you guys let us know what you want, the more that we know kind of where to where to direct our energies where to, on all exactly this yeah where to see where the interest is because uh yeah we're, ultimately we're doing this to, to help new people old and young that have always wanted to kind of go into this lifestyle to make it a little bit easier for them just by sharing what we know all right guys well i think that is it for this evening thank you very much for joining us on sailing vessel Querida. all right thanks for sailing with us guys we'll see you all next time